0: It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. In the meantime, though, and this is why I pushed for Peterson to get a shot this year, even if it means it's a six-man rotation, you got to see what you have. Because you need to develop some guys. That's going to be important to do over the next couple of years.
1: No, I, I agree. And that's why like, I'm, I know was, uh, we haven't touched the Brooks Raleigh trade yet, which I think is uh, was good. Uh, but again, like, we're giving away a young guy. That, that listen, he's going to be – he's not hitting the majors for another five years probably, but I need to develop. Are, are, I know you just thought the joke, but I don't look at this farm system as anything special right now. And they, to you, can't, everyone's talking about, oh, we'll go trade for this guy, trade for that guy, go trade for Shohei Otani. I'm like, with what? Aren't they?
0: Well, if they, they trade the for Otani. The problem with trading for Otani, which is why you shouldn't probably, is you have to give up guys that you're going to rely on to contribute this year. Because the Mets' prospects that have a lot of value are guys that are ready. You know, Brett Beatty, Francisco Alvarez, guys like that. But. I don't think you could worry about that right now because first of all, the Mets aren't making trades in which they're dealing their top prospects. That's why, and we'll get to Nimmo in a little bit, why overpaying for Nimmo may be a necessity because you're not in position to then trade prospects for Brian Reynolds, as good of a player as Brian Reynolds is. But in terms of this rotation, I think this rotation is built, and I sort of like it this way, with just a lot of flexibility. Yeah, it's old. I mean, there'll be a lot of jokes made about how old this rotation is, and maybe it's the thing that kills us this year. I I can't predict what's going to happen come October or even before that, but this rotation is a temporary rotation. And Peterson and McGill are important because if you could develop them into reliable starting pitchers a year from now, two years from now, you're not looking to fill out a whole rotation in free agency. Right now, the Mets are set up to have a lot of depth. If you think about what's currently in this rotation, you have Scherzer, you have Verlander, you have Carrasco, assuming they don't trade him, and I think they could. You have Quintana, you have Peterson, you have McGill. That's six guys who I can make an argument should be in the rotation. That doesn't include Joey LaCasey, who's a depth guy, and Elias Hernandez, who's another depth guy. Plus, they're going to add a starter. It's pretty obvious that they're going to add a third starter now. Is it a surprise trade, kind of like them acquiring Chris Bassett before last year? It's possible. I doubt it. I think they'll sign either Senga or Bassett, and I hope it's Senga. So I think going into this season, and the Mets haven't always had this, they're actually going to have a lot of pitching depth. How they deploy it will be fascinating. Like, do you go to McGill and say you're a reliever? We're turning you to a seventh inning guy. Hey, Mets have to fill out a bullpen. Maybe they're viewing McGill more as a reliever. I don't think they're doing that with Peterson. I think Peterson was so valuable last year as a swing guy, but I always viewed him as more than that this year, as a guy that should be in the rotation. So I like the way the rotation is being set up. I mean, again, think about this in simple terms. Scherzer's back. You hope he makes more starts. Carrasco's back, assuming they don't trade him. You hope he just gives you what he gave you last year. You've replaced Walker with Quintana. And you're gonna replace Degrom with Verlander. And as much as I didn't want to do it, for the sake of comparing last year to this year, Jacob Degrom didn't pitch a lot. So if again, I'm not, this is not a defense of the pivot from Degrom to Verlander. I made my point very clear about that. The bar of what Degrom gave you last year is not high. So that's an upgrade in terms of what Degrom gave you last year and what you hope Verlander is going to give you this year. And then you've got replacing Bassett, whether it's with him himself or with someone else. So I think the rotation is in a good spot. I hope they get Senga. I'd be disappointed if they don't and they end up with Ross Stripling or Trevor Williams. Like you want someone who you at least for now can pencil in as your third guy. And the two that jump out at me to fit that because I assume Carlos Redon is out. I don't even bring him up. I just don't think they're going to make that kind of investment. The two guys that jump out at me would be Senga and would be Bassett. Now, as far as the Brooks-Raleigh trade is concerned, here's why that's a no-brainer. Without knowing that much about Keyshawn Askew, Keyshawn Askew, the guy they traded, is a sidearming lefty. Now, I'm going to stereotype for a second. If you're a sidearming lefty, what is your role in a best case scenario at the major league level? A lefty specialist. Right? I mean, that's pretty fair to say. Askew is a lefty specialist, possibly. That's what you think he can be four years from now. They acquired a lefty specialist. You know, lefty specialists, I know it's different these days because of the three batter minimum, but they still have value. The Mets had none of that last year. So they traded a guy who they think could be a lefty specialist five years from now for a guy who's a proven lefty specialist, right? That's what Brooks Raleigh is. Now go deeper into Brooks Rawley's numbers. Cause when you go on baseball reference and you pull it up, here's what you're going to notice. You're going to look like I do. I still do it to this day. I know I shouldn't. I look right at his ERA. I look right at, him and I say, okay, let me see what Brooks Raleigh did last year. Oh, 2.68. That's great. Oh, it's fantastic. 53 innings. He uh, struck out 10 guys per nine. Walked two and a half. Fantastic. He was amazing. And you're happy. Then you look at 2021 with Houston, and you see a four seven eight ERA. And you say, Ah, oh, he sucked. What happened to him? ERAs for relievers are very, very misleading. So you got to look a little deeper. Strikeout per nine. Oh, was pretty high. Walks were a little bit higher. His home runs were a little bit higher. But here's what Brooks Raleigh did in 2021 that he did in 2022 that he did in 2020 and he didn't even pitch that much. Nobody did. And even what he did before that, when he's pitching in the KBO, you know, what Brooks Raleigh consistently does like really well. Same as 2022 as 2021. Cause again, it's easy to say he had a better year in 2022 than 2021. Sure. Overall he did, but there's something he did in both years at an elite level. And you know what that is? He got lefties out. He got soft contact, but he got lefties out. Even in a season like 2021, where the numbers you look at don't look nearly as good. He gave up double the amount of home runs. He got hit more. Uh, He's walking more guys. Like, those numbers don't look good. But when you go deeper, you see, wow, that freaking guy was good at getting lefties out, even in a year like that. So, If you're deployed the right way and you do something really, really good, which Brooks Raleigh does, he gets lefties out, and you're deployed in a smart way and your manager puts you in the best position to succeed, and you've proven your entire career, brief career, but your entire career, you're freaking good at getting lefties out, then I'm happy. Look, are there going to be situations where he's not just facing Kyle Schwarber? But now he's got to get Reese Hoskins out. Sure. And maybe that'll backfire. That's why it's so important, especially with the three batter minimum of the manager, finding that right spot to use him. But what Brooks Raleigh is, is he's a guy who gets lefties out. What an effing concept, because the Met bullpen didn't have that last year. Joeli Rodriguez was not that guy. Adam Adovino was amazing against righties. You know what's crazy about Adovino? He had a really good year last year. We're all happy with it. He wasn't good at getting lefties out. He was forced to have to face lefties because they didn't have a lefty specialist. So again, it's not easy because of the 3 batter minimum. I, I get that. We're in a different world. But here's what the New York Mets did. Forget his ERA. Forget what he did in 2021. Forget what he did in 2022. Here's the one constant that you should feel good about. This some bitch gets lefties out. And the New York Mets share a division with Kyle Schwarber. They share a division with Bryce Harper. They share a division with Matt Olson. They don't share a division anymore with Juan Soto. Thank God. I was so used to bringing his name up in these discussions. Hey, they may in two years. Who the hell knows the way the Phillies are spending. But I love that trade because I really thought that they needed to add a guy who fits that, like a guy who gets lefties out. And I, and I think that guys like that, it really is important for the manager, in Buck Alter, our manager, to use him correctly. It's important. And that's what we'll be watching all year, but I think their bullpen, which still has a lot of work to do, needed this. They needed a guy who at an elite level gets lefties out. And to use a thing that I read, because I still haven't figured really how to use uh, Statcast out. I try to, but I get so confused sometimes. I read that uh, Brooks Raleigh is rated in the 98th percentile in hard hit rate. Now, if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't know what that means. My dad may be listening. I don't know what that means. It's actually something we probably talked about 30 years from now. We just referred to it differently. <laughs> He gets guys to not hit the ball hard. That's it. It's Some of these stats are things we've always talked about. Like Brooks Raleigh is really good at getting lefties out and getting guys to not hit the baseball hard. Like Greg Maddox, basically. I'm not saying he's Greg Maddox, but you get my point. Can they so, call it soft contact? Make it easier for us to understand? <laughs> <laughs> Barrel percentage, you want to call it something? Yeah, we could call it something else. It's funny, like war, which is a stat I've always hated. War is something we've always talked about. You know, like, for example, in talking about Aaron Judge, and I'm sure you've thought this too, Pete, like, wow, Aaron Judge isn't on the Yankees last year. They don't make the playoffs. Like, I thought that. I think you thought that. Well, that's what war's for. How many wins did he add to the team? (laughs) Now, I don't think it's accurate, but I like the idea of it, at least. So I approve the Brooks-Raleigh trade. Go ahead.
1: Aaron Aaron Judge single-handedly. Had like thirty wins for the Yankees last year, which is why the Giants were in on them so much. They won eighty one <laughs> games last
0: year; they would have won a hundred and eleven games. You know what I mean? Don't think, I don't think you are crazy. Like I think that War is underappreciated. Sometimes I think I watched Aaron Judge play every game last year. His War should have been like a twenty five.
1: Well, and, and listen, I don't want to go in this this hole right now, but we talk about Pete Alonso. His War is crap, and I am like, what are you looking at? What he does on the field is so underrated. No one looks at yeah. his first base glove at all, his fielding. They think he's just crappy because he's a little herky-jerky, and he's not uh, Anthony Rizzo. I'm sorry. He's a good first baseman, and he wins with, with with the bat, too. His war should not be, what, 2.6 or whatever the hell it is?
0: Yeah, it's that's why I don't hate the idea of war. I hate the way it's executed. That's what I would say. I almost think it needs to be like pro football focus where it's just rated. <laughs> We're not even looking at stats. We got just guys watching games saying, I give him a 70. I give him a 90. That's basically pro football focus. Uh, the other move on the busiest of busy winter meetings days was that the New York Mets said to themselves, you know what we should do? We should steal a pitcher from the New York Yankees in the rule five draft and hope that it's Garrett Whitlock all over again. Garrett Whitlock, who has turned into a really good reliever, now a starter for the Boston Red Sox, was a Rule 5 pick because to the Yankees' credit, they've, over the years, had a lot of guys, a lot of young pitchers specifically, that they just can't hold on to because of roster crunch numbers. So the Mets drafted Zach Green from the Yankees in the Rule 5 draft, and I think you guys know the rules of the Rule 5 draft. Basically, Zach Green has to make the team. Or go on the injured list, you know, which is a nice, easy way out. He's got to make the team. And if he doesn't make the team, or they send him down at some point, he gets offered back to the New York Yankees. So when you claim a guy on the Rule 5 draft, and there isn't a long list of successes in Met history. Like, off the top of my head, I think of two guys. And they're not even that recent. One is Darren O'Day. The Mets claimed Darren O'Day about a decade ago. And he pitched maybe an inning, got everybody out, And then there was a roster crunch issue. Swear to God, the Mets couldn't keep him on the roster, so they offered him back to, I think, Texas at the time. And Darren O'Day went on and had, you know, he's still pitching, like a really good career. And it sucked, and I can't remember who. Somebody who listens to the Rico is going to know this answer. There was some random player the Mets wanted to put on the roster. And to make it work, they had to offer back Darren O'Day And I don't even know who the guy is. It's like Mike Jacobs or something. And that's what cost them Darren O'Day. So he wasn't even a success in Met history, but he's a guy I remember because he went on and had such a good career. And I even had him on a Saturday show once to say, Darren, do you realize you have the lowest ERA in Met history? And he got a real kick out of it because he likes having a zero ERA. Who wouldn't? And then the other guys long before that. um, I, I knew that. Who was it? Wayne Garrett. Way back when, before my time, was a Rule 5 pick, so he's probably the most successful in Met history. But in my era, uh, Kelly Stinnett, the backup catcher, I think was a Rule 5 guy. So there isn't a long list of successes by any stretch. Brad Emus was a guy we all convinced ourselves would be the next Dan Ugla. Second baseman with power, was claimed early on in the Sandy Alderson era. Well, why not with Zach Green? He had pretty good numbers at AAA. He's got a wicked slider, as someone described it to me. So we'll see him in spring training. He'll have a chance to make this team, uh, especially now with a 26-man roster. You're usually carrying eight or nine bullpen arms. So we'll see if Zach Green could be that guy. The other thing from the Rule 5 draft is that they did not lose Jake Mangum. And that could be a really important thing. I have because... breaking news for you. Go ahead.
1: They did lose him. They finished the trade to the Marlins, and that was the piece they gave back. They just what? they did it about nine minutes ago.
0: Oh, I apologize. So They did lose Jake Mangum.
1: What they was the, just, trade yeah. the, well,
0: what the trade with the Marlins? What L- do L- you mean
1: what trade with the Marlins? Hernandez trade, Eliza Hernandez. Ah, gotcha. So I guess there was a player be- to return later or whatever. it happened to be Jake Mangum. So there you go.
0: All right. So take out everything I was about to say, which was, hey, they may need him if they lose Brandon Immo to play defense in center field. Okay. Effort. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad you got that in because the, the worry we always have when we record these Ricos is that we record it, and then as soon as it's over, like there's huge breaking news. And look, there's only so much you could do about that. Yeah. If there is, there is. I'm glad though you got that huge breaking news in that Jake Mangum isn't with the Mets anymore. Saved us a good five minutes there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's they. got to sign Kevin Kiermaier basically, because that's how I view Kevin Kiermaier. If the Mets lose Nimmo. Kevin Kiermaier is Jake Mangum. He's a fourth outfielder who plays really good defense. That's basic. That's that's literally how I view Kiermaier. Otherwise, I don't want him every day as a center fielder. As far Can as I, Nimmo – yeah, go ahead.
1: Okay, because this is something that is concerning me. You told me not to be concerned about the pitching rotation. Don't worry about what's going to happen in two years. But I look at this roster right now, and we're talking about, like, if Brandon Nimmo doesn't come back, what are they going to do? You bring Kermire in. He's going to be there for, what, like another year or two contract type of thing. They literally – besides Lindor, there is no one on this team in, like, four or five years. Like, I don't – What? what is the no. plan of action? That's not true. I mean, there's no yes. player on this team in Besi- four besides, years. Besides Francisco Alvarez, besides Brett Beatty, and again, if they traded for Otani, I'm expecting those guys not to be here. Like, they literally, for as far as this roster that's currently constructed, no one's on this team in four years. Like, no, Marte's no. contract's done. P-
0: Position player-wise, I completely disagree with you. I think pitching-wise, yeah, there's going to be a lot of turnover, but – the hope is Pete Alonso and Jeff McNeil are here long-term. They're both free agents at the end of not this upcoming season, but the year after that. Lindor's here for 150 years. Brett Beatty will hopefully become the everyday third baseman. Francisco Alvarez will become, hopefully, the everyday catcher. Uh, Marte's here for three more years. He's going to get older, but he's going to be here. He signed. We'll get to Nimmo in a second. Alex Ramirez is probably a couple of years away as a top prospect. Ronnie Mauricio probably becomes an outfielder. Position player-wise, I don't think there's going to be a lot of turnover. Like, I do think that they've got a core of guys. Um, But the Nimmo thing is complicated because they don't have – I don't know if Alex Ramirez – I think uh, when we had Joe DeMeo on, he thinks he can project as a center fielder in a few years. But that's a few years from now. If they lose Brandon Nimmo, I don't know how they competently fill that position for the next couple of years. So that's a fair point. Like, I understand that. Center field could be a big issue. But I do think their infield has a chance to be set for a very long time between Beatty, assuming he becomes what we hope he is, Lindor, McNeil, and Alonso. Like, I don't think there's turnover there. And Mauricio will see if they end up trading him or move him to the outfield or move him to third base and Beatty becomes a DH. So position player-wise, I, I actually disagree with you. I think pitching-wise, yeah, there's going to be a lot of turnover.